How many of you guys were able to make to the State Fair of Texas this year? How many of you guys had a corn dog in the State Fair of Texas? Funnel cake. Sausage on a stick. Turkey leg. All right. So uh, several of us went to uh, the great State Fair of Texas. How many of you guys played on the Midway, played some games, lost some money? Okay. How many of you that played those games actually won something? All right. Maybe a couple. Lucky birds. All right. Well, uh, you know, every year I walk by, and you, I know you've seen it, any of us that have been to the State Fair of Texas, you have a corn dog in one hand, and, you, and you're making your way down the Midway, and, then, and you get to that, that game where there is a bottle, just a glass bottle, and uh, you have a pole, string, and just a little washer on the end, and you're, you're trying to just lift that bottle. How many have seen that game? The object of the game is pretty straightforward. They don't have to hand you instructions. They don't have to explain it to you. All you do is walk by, you see that, you go, oh, I get it. Yeah, I just kind of raise the bottle. I'll raise the bottle, I'll get one of those Jumbotron, you know, goofy dolls or something, right? And, uh, and, if I, and then I can give it to my kid and be a hero. So what you do is you walk over and hand out 5, 10, 15, 20 bucks, and you still haven't raised that bottle, right? But it's a really easy to understand game. But it is incredibly difficult to execute. Incredibly difficult to execute. Unless, of course, I got I to gotta tell on him, you're Todd Wagner, and you actually set that up in your garage, and you figure out how to do it. Then you go, and you win your big old Jumbotron Goofy doll. Right? But, uh, but the point here is, is that that game is easy to understand. It is hard to execute. And sometimes there's passages of Scripture that I come across I go, hey, this is real clear. This is very easy for me to understand. However, the difficulty comes in the execution. And that's what we're going to find in the book of Philemon. Um, We've been making our way along through the journey. As we've gathered each week here, we've talked about not just the book, but we've talked about the process for how to read the book. The whole idea being that we just don't want to hand somebody a fish. We want to teach them how to fish. So that long after we're done here... You guys are, feel more equipped and ready and able to divide the word of truth rightly and apply it to your life. To understand it and then ask the question, so what? And Philemon, maybe at first glance, when you read it, you go, okay, a little different. You know, short book. Um, the meaning seems to jump out on the, on the page, but um, man, the execution of the message is very difficult. And we're going to talk about three perspectives today in the so what. But before I do that, each of you got a handout when you walked in. <clears throat> Hopefully there was enough out there for everybody. And, and what you see there is, is essentially just my effort to very simply um, write out some thoughts based on our six-step method, and which is key any time we read Scripture, as we've talked about, the very first thing we want to do is we want to determine the context. And as you know, uh, Paul at this time is uh, writing from prison. And, um, and he writes to a man named Philemon. And Philemon happens to have a house church, which is in the city of Coloss, the same city to whom Paul wrote when he wrote the book of Colossians. And so we understand a little bit about the context. He's writing to a man named Philemon, and Philemon happens to be a convert of Paul's, so to speak, that, that Paul led this man to Christ, to a relationship with him. And this man went on to lead this house church. 
And then we start to, to gather the clues. And really the, the principle here I want to convey to you is whenever I read Scripture, um, there are a lot of thoughts and ideas that, that, um, that you want to have. You want to look for key words. You want to look for things that are repeated. You want to pay attention to action verbs. There, there are a lot of questions to ask yourself when considering the clues. The, um, one of the exercises I want to challenge you with, though, is to try to do this, and that is simply to divide and title your passages. Just divide it, title, and describe. And that's what you see here. I'm not going to read all these for you, but this is the, just a, a very simple, straightforward explanation um, that I try to give. So I divided this into a few parts here. You have the salutation, which is the beginning of verses 1 through 3. And then you have Paul's prayer of thanksgiving for Philemon. In verses 4 and 7. Paul's plea for Onesimus in verses 8 through 16, and then Paul's promise to Philemon in 17 through 25. Now, real quickly, what happens here is that there's a greeting in verses 1 through 3. And then there's this prayer of thanksgiving, and I just simply take note that Paul is thankful for Philemon. But yet, as I read this, I recognize Philemon is a, he's a slave owner. And so I kind of go, well, okay, hold on. You know, given what I know about Paul, given what I know about slavery... That, that seems to be inconsistent there. I, I'm not sure I understand why Paul, a man of the gospel, would be thankful for the ministry of a man who is a slave owner. So either I don't understand Paul's heart, and I'm uh, not have a full understanding of that, or I don't have a full understanding of what slavery was like back in the time in which Paul wrote. Is it similar to what was experienced here in America, or is it something altogether different? Or was it somewhere in between? So I just simply ask myself, Hey, why would Paul be thankful for Philemon? What's behind slavery? Do I not know Paul's heart? Do I not understand the idea of slavery in this time? So I just make a note of that. I understand that Paul wasn't alone, but he was with Timothy and some other folks. He considered Philemon to be a beloved brother and fellow worker in the faith. And then I just have questions. Who are these other two jokers who show up here, right? And so I'm just simply doing what you do. I've divided the passage, and then I'm just taking a few notes on each verse. And then you get to this, the prayer, and then the, um, where he just recognizes, man, I'm thankful for, for Philemon. Um, and the reason he's thankful is because of his faith and love for the Lord and other folks. He, he, he says this great prayer, asking that the Lord would help him to fully understand every good thing we ha- that he has in Christ. And talks about how Philemon has, um, the word used there is refresh the saints. And then you get to Paul's plea for Onesimus. And let's look at that in verses 8 through 16. It says, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful to both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart. goes on. Whom I wished to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was, for this reason, separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, 
no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So what we see here is that Paul is in prison, and he comes to befriend a man named Onesimus, who happens to be a runaway slave, who happens to be a runaway slave of a man who Paul brought to the Lord, who is leading a house church in Colossus. So Paul now comes to befriend a man named Onesimus, this runaway slave, who he sees come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. And he knows of the person that Onesimus has run away from. And so Paul here is, in, is a minister of reconciliation. And he writes this letter back to Philemon and says, listen, there's something you need to understand. This man whom, who you knew, who formerly was your slave, who ran away, I have come to know in prison now. And I have seen this man he, be of great help to me. And a great encouragement to me as a brother in the Lord. And so I'm appealing to you to recognize him not as a former slave, but to recognize him as a brother in Christ. I'm asking you to forgive the debt that he owes you. And I'm basing that appeal on our mutual love for Jesus Christ. This is a book that is about reconciliation. It is Reconciliation is something we know intellectually we need to do. To forgive is something we know we need to do. We understand how to do it, but it is terribly difficult to execute sometimes. It is hard to do. And that's what this book is. And then it simply just closes with Paul's promise to to Philemon in the final verses, 17 through 25 there. And you can see some of the notes I made. But just for every verse, I just described what it is I saw. And then, to better understand the whole idea of slavery in biblical times, you can take the step of comparing and contrast Scripture with Scripture. And there's several verses there for you to look at. But that important one is, uh, for today, I wanted to highlight is to consult outside sources. So I just simply looked at a, a dictionary that's called Dictionary of Paul and his letters, and I go, maybe there's something there about slavery I don't understand. And indeed, you can see in that handout right there that the Greco slave system was an integral part of every aspect of life in Paul's time. This should help us better understand this text. Estimates are that 85 to 90 percent of the inhabitants of Rome and Peninsula, Italy, were slaves or of slave origin in the first and second centuries. Isn't that astounding? Think about that. That 85 to 90% of the inhabitants of Rome at the time were slaves. So that tells me that slavery was a pretty big deal during that time. But it, it didn't look like it did in America. In fact, they had many rights. They had the right to marry, to worship, accumulate money, and even purchase their own freedom. If you look down, it says, in addition to being farm workers and semi-skilled laborers, slaves were artisans and workers in crafts, architects, physicians, administrators, philosophers, grammarians, writers, teachers. They often worked alongside freed persons. A little different, right? So now I'm starting to go, okay, well, maybe my understanding of slavery in that time is, is what needs to change. And I even read that often these freed persons, people who were formerly slaves, entered into business partnerships with their f- former owners. So... There's much about slavery here that 
I just need to better understand the context and the culture in which Paul wrote. He's not condoning slavery as perhaps we think of it, given American history. All right? And so I understand a little bit better here. I'm sure slaves were abused back then, but I also have a better understanding that perhaps many of them just had a different relationship that wasn't based on abuse, but respect. And so as I read through this here, I go, really, the, the message for me, the, the so what, is the idea behind reconciliation, that this man Onesimus owed Philemon. And Philemon had a right to, um, to ask back what it is that Onesimus owed him. And Paul intervenes. And so there's three perspectives I want to share with you this morning and I want to ask of you. And the first one's from Philemon. So my question to you is this. Who do I need to forgive? It's the question you should ask yourself. Who do you need to forgive? Today, who in your life has wronged you? Just think about it. Who's hurt you? Who, when you think of that person, man, in your heart of hearts, if you had the chance, you would love to see them pay for what it is they've done and how they've hurt you? It may be your dad, it may be your brother. It may be your ex-wife, it may be a girlfriend, it may be a neighbor, a business partner, a friend, a former employee. Who do you need to forgive? Second perspective is one of Onesimus. From whom do you need to seek forgiveness? For whom do you need to seek forgiveness? Who is it out there that um, it'd be real hard to pick up that phone and call them and to ask for their forgiveness and humble yourself before them and admit you're wrong? And the third perspective is, is Paul's perspective, to which I ask you, from whom can you be, or for, for whom can you be a minister of reconciliation? Who is it that's out there that, that you know is in conflict? They may be in your community group. They may be in your summit group. They may be, you may be a mutual friend of both of them. But you have the opportunity to be a minister of reconciliation and to step in, to speak truth, to point people to Christ, and to be a minister of reconciliation. Why does Paul make this plea? What does he base it on? He bases it on each of their common understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for him on the cross. And that's why in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, which we are starting now, uh, we're going to see when we read chapter 4, in verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted." Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Write down, just for you to look at in your groups, Matthew 18, 21 through 35, where Jesus speaks very specifically on the importance of forgiveness. As we just compare Scripture with Scripture. 
So what we're trying to do is introduce you to a process, a method, so that you can understand how to read the Bible on your own. So that when you open it up and you read a book like Philemon, you can go, okay, I get it. I can divide this book. I can title the sections. I can describe what it is I see. But then on the so what, I could be, it could be very practical. And today we just consider, who do I need to forgive? Whose forgiveness do I need to seek? And for whom can I be a minister of reconciliation? You're going to see um, in your case study, it says this. You loaned Joe an unbeliever money in a business deal 10 years ago. When the deal failed, Joe refused to pay you. This resulted in a bitter end of your friendship. Now, Joe has become a believer and called you out of the blue to seek your forgiveness. Based on Philemon, how do you respond? Do you ask Joe to repay the loan? Why or why not? That's a pretty true-to-life case study right there that Philemon speaks to. Again, the object, the understanding, is pretty easy to understand, right? We don't need a lot of instructions to understand how to play the midway game, to how to put the bottle right side up. It's very difficult, though, to execute. It's very difficult. It looks a lot easier than it really is. Let me pray for you. Lord in heaven, um, uh, in my own life, I, I, I can answer all three of those questions. And, um, and Lord, I understand that um, it is difficult to extend forgiveness sometimes when we have been wronged. It is very difficult, Lord, to ask for forgiveness from those whom we have wronged. It's easier for us to justify our actions, to respond in pride or anger, than it is to humble ourselves. And, um, and Father, oftentimes we want to avoid conflict, so we lose out on the opportunity and the blessing that comes from being a minister of reconciliation. I pray, Father, that uh, these wouldn't just be principles that, that we understand, but that they'd be principles in which we follow through with and that we would execute. We love you, and we thank you that um, we can forgive and love based upon what it is that Jesus has done for us on the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.